Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Mark chapter 10, and we'll begin reading in verse number 46. Mark 10, 46, the Bible says, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with the disciples, and a great number of people... Blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Now that's interesting to me as I, I read the, when you study the Bible, just make note of every single word. And for me, it stands out that the Holy Spirit inspired this to record blind Bartimaeus's nickname, right? Sometimes we have nicknames and they're not always things that we appreciate. I mean, you don't want to be known as Cheater Chuck, Right? Right? You don't want to, other people have different nicknames, and he was just known, he was just part of the environment, right? He was known as Blind Bartimaeus. He had his part there, and everybody knew that here's this beggar who couldn't do anything else with his life but beg, and he was known as Blind Bartimaeus, and it's recorded there in Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so we know that's what he's known as, Blind Bartimaeus, verse number 47. And when he heard that, it was Jesus of Nazareth. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. Wow. Remember, this is in the midst of a, of a great multitude, of a big crowd, and Jesus Christ is on his way to another appointment, so to speak. But there is one man that gets his attention and makes Jesus Stop. The man who made Jesus stop. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd uh, take control. It's clear that you've been in control already. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to sing praises to your name. We, uh, we hope that you have, you have been honored and that we have had an opportunity to, to bless you, as the, as the Psalms say, God, and, and uh, just to be able to worship and learn even through these wonderful specials, God. You, you've, you've met with us already. I pray, dear God, that your word would go forth with power, that you'd give me strength physically in my voice. Lord, we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. The man who made Jesus stop. Of all of Jesus' miracles, I think one of the more eye-catching ones are the, is the feeding of the 5,000, right? When we talk about numbers in that sense, 5,000 men being miraculously um, fed by a small lunch. And when you think of that very specifically, it says 5,000 men, I think it's just common sense that, hey, more than likely there were women and children there. And so this, this crowd was huge. It's very possible that there were 10,000, 15,000, maybe even 20,000 people. And when we think about these eye-popping numbers, they tend to grab our attention because, of course, things like this, like a crowd and, and, and multitudes, they just grab our attention a little bit more. But as exciting as that, that miracle was with that great multitude, it lasers in, the focus just lasers in on one small lad. And so it's easy to get caught up in the excitement of the crowd and forget about the importance of the in individual, right? I love John 3.16. Thank God that, that for God so loved the world. And that's an amazing thought. But you know what changed my life? It's not just the fact that he loved the world and it's amazing. I'm thankful for that. But that Jesus loved me as well. 
And of all the billions and billions and billions of people who've, 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 who've lived on this earth, Jesus Christ, God, knew everything about me and yet still chose to love me. And yes, God loves the entire world, but my friend, don't ever forget that he loves you. Well, he loves you. Jesus loves the individual. I think of an incredible story of the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. And at this pool, many people would gather and they would bring their loved ones and, and they would wait for the moving of the water as it's written. And, uh, and there, was, there was an angel that would touch a certain portion of the water and, and it seems like it would be randomized. And, and whoever would get to that spot that the angel touched the water and everybody would be looking and, and find the ripples. And the first person to get into there would get their miracle. Whether they needed sight or needed to be um, healed from, uh, uh, from, from some type of crippling disease, the first person who would get into the water would be the one to be healed. But there was one man out of this big crowd that got Jesus Christ's attention, right? And there were those, um, yeah, obviously, since they were crippled or disabled in some way, were blessed to be able to have some family members. Maybe there was a man over here that uh, had some type of physical infirmity and his, maybe had his wife and his kids with him ready to, uh, to help, help him lower him into water. Or maybe there was a young lady that's been blind from birth and, and maybe had her parents with her and ready to, uh, ready to help her into the water as soon as they saw the moving of the, uh, moving of the pool. But there was one man who uttered the most, some of the most sad words in scripture looked at Jesus and said I have no man what are you saying I don't have anyone to help me I don't have anybody who cares but in all this crowd it was clear that Jesus cared for him Says, I have no man oh yes you do you have the man you have Jesus Christ who loves you right and it was Jesus Christ that brought him his miracle. Yes, of course, Jesus Christ loved the whole crowd that was there at the pool, but there was one that got his special attention, and it was clear that, yes, Jesus loves the crowd, but Jesus Christ loved that one specific individual, and Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I think of the woman with the issue of blood for many years, and she'd, she'd uh, struggled with this infirmity and went from doctor to doctor and specialist and spent all kinds of money to try to be healed. Somehow she had enough understanding about Jesus Christ that if she could just get to him and not even talk to him, just touch the hem of his garment, she would be made whole. And the Bible's very clear that there was a great multitude that thronged around Jesus Christ, but that crowd was, going, was not going to stop this woman. And we get this picture as if she's more than likely reaching between people and just touches the hem of his garment. The scripture tells us that virtue flow out and flowed out of Jesus Christ and she was healed. Jesus Christ knew that virtue came out of him. Big crowd following and surrounding Jesus Christ. He stops and says, who touched me? And with this whole crowd around him, this one lady mattered to Jesus. And she was made whole by Jesus. Jesus loves the crowd. Jesus loves the multitude. Jesus loves the world. But my friend, I promise you, you have to know Jesus Christ loves you. He cares for the entire world. And so now we get to this incredible story. Jesus Christ on his way to another appointment. And one man who made Jesus stop, even in the midst of a huge crowd. Would you please take note that, first of all, that this man, he used what he had. He used what he had. Would you look at verse number 46 again? Let's go, through the, let's go right through the text. And they came to Jericho, 
And he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude of people. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. All right, so he knows. He heard that Jesus Christ is coming, needs to get to Jesus Christ if he's going to get his miracle. He can't see him, can't use his eyes to get to him, right? And a lot of time, now think of that, think about that in Christianity. If we know we need to get to Jesus, if we know that we, um, as far as we need a, a healing touch from Jesus, we need a miracle from Jesus, uh, we, we need some uh, special unction from on high to be able to use of, of Jesus, but we think about, hey, what we don't have. Well, he said he, he, didn't have, he knew he didn't have any eyesight, but he didn't use that as an excuse, right? Didn't have any eyesight, but what does the Bible say? He heard, couldn't see, but he could hear right? He couldn't see, but he can cry out. And so he took his focus on what he didn't have and used what he did have. Can't see, but he could hear, and he can cry out. He used what he had. This, this church is so blessed with incredibly talented people. Amen? I mean, what a blessing just in the, in the last special that truly ministered to us. Janine being able to, to play the piano and sing. Don't you hate her? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, just, I mean, it's a blessing to have people that are so immensely talented and be able to use that and minister for the glory of God, right? But, I, but there's a danger in that. You know, talented people are really, can be really distracting, right? right? A lot of times we can get enamored with a talent and forget about the, per, the, the one who blessed them with talent. Or in another vein, we can get enamored with a talent and feel sorry for ourselves that we don't have that talent right? I mean, so what, things like that, these, these pulpit type, these upfront type of talents and abilities really grab our attention. And we get the danger in that is we feel sorry for ourselves because we, we know that we can't sing or what have you. So, well, I can't sing like Brother Sammy or I can't sing with whoever you name it. And, and, and that's okay if you can't sing. You know, you, if you can't sing, you can be a blessing by not singing, right? Amen? <laughs> I don't know, of course, yes, listen, we are to, to sing corporately, and we are commanded to come before his presence with thanksgiving, but if you can't sing, then that's not your ministry to sing solos, and that's okay, right? That's okay. There is something else, and praise God when we, in, in a church this size, and we're just getting to know people and, and watching how things are working, it's clear that this church has blessed uh, has been blessed with a number of five talent people, right? And those are the people that, I mean, the, those, those people, it's exciting to have those people, and it's helpful to have these people that can do so many things. They can sing, they can preach, they can play the piano, they can dance, and I'm just kidding, we're Baptists, we don't do that. I mean, they can, you know, whatever, you know, all these different things. And here we are with our one little talent, thinking, oh man, I can't be like thus and such because they do this and this and that and that. But we, you know, you have your one little talent, stop focusing on the four talents you don't have, right? God can use that one talent in a huge, huge way. And so for the most of most of us, we're not five talent people, and that's okay. Stop coveting that, right? And at the same time, stop focusing on the three or four talents that you don't have. It's clear in scripture that every believer, every believer is, is blessed with God with some type of gift, some type of ability that he wants to use for his glory. Use what you have. Stop focusing on what you don't have, right? Man, on the other sense, 
And for example, personality-wise, there's all these different personalities. Let's say the, the introverts are over on this side, and the extroverts are over on this side, right? I'm just kind of somewhere in the middle, maybe a little bit more towards extrovert. But for me, I really covet the, I, 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 I look at these people and wish I could be more like them, right? Because hey, uh, when we're talking about ministry, it's about people, right? When we're talking about sharing the gospel, it's about connecting with people and making conversation. And I look at people on that side of the, uh, of, of the spectrum of being extroverts, and it's so natural, it's so easy for them to make conversation. They just talk, 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 talk. It's like nothing. There's never a silent moment. And I wish I could be like them. For me, and you, you know, those of, those of us who are closer to this side, it's a whole lot more effort, right? And we wish we could be like that. And then when we're getting together with people, we get a little bit of anxiety and we plan our conversation. We even plan the questions we'll ask, right? And it, 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 hey, if you're over here and you have no idea what I'm talking about, just trust me, that's what, what over, those of us over here, we struggle with those things. And we look over on that side, oh, well, I wish I could be more like those people. And praise God for those people. But think about it. If our church was 95% extroverts, we would drive each other nuts, right? We need you all over here to bring some balance to this thing, right? And, then, and there's people over here, they could just talk, 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 talk. And what if we were all, all, all competing for talk, 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 without some people that know how to listen, right? I'm not saying you extroverts don't know how to listen. You're just not as good as it. No, I'm just kidding, right? And God uses the diversities of gifts. You just look in nature and see God's love for diversity, right? If you just look at nature, why in the world would God create all the thousands of different flowers? Just because, just so we can enjoy it, right? Why does God design all kinds of different birds or all kinds of different, you name it, right? It's clear in nature that God loves diversity and in the church family, it's the same way. We have singers and we have people who enjoy the singing, right? We have extroverts and we have introverts. We have the bossy people, administrative people, and we have the servants. You understand what I'm saying? And, and it all works together for God's glory. God wants to use what you have. Couldn't see? He could hear. Couldn't see? He can cry out. He used what he had. Think about that feeding of the 5,000 again that we referenced right in the beginning. Jesus Christ, he already knew what he was going to do when he asked the disciples, how are we going to feed this crowd? He was testing his disciples. And you could read that, that story and you could see that these disciples just have a moment, right? They look out in the crowd and they see how impossible it was. And that was kind of Jesus Christ's point, right? They start looking around and it feels a little bit sarcastic, Right? It, it, you, know, you know, a lot of them, you know, a few of them were fishermen. And I, you could just imagine them looking around. It's like, well, we got 20,000 people to feed. Sure would be nice to have a net. Right? Sure would be nice to have a fishing boat. Right? Sure would be nice to have a bakery, Costco. You know, not even, that's what we need. 20,000 people here. We got to pre-order for this thing. Right? It sure would be easy to look at what you don't have. One of them brings what they did have, but it sounds a little snarky. You know what I mean? I was like, well, we have this one boy with a little sack lunch. For Filipinos, a little baon, a little baon, right? And just ask your friendly neighborhood Filipino around here what that means. And um, he, just, he brought the little sack lunch, but he said, what are these among so many? Sounds a little snarky to me. That's a pretty good question. And then Jesus Christ answers it explosively. Little is much when God is in it. 
Use what you have. Use what you have. And then secondly, look at verse number 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, grant me my sight. No, nope, doesn't say that. He's like, what version is he using? No. Nope. Have mercy on me. And I don't think anybody would judge him, a man who's blind, for his request to be, to feel completely self-serving and say, well, Lord, give me my, give me my, uh, give me my sight, please. I mean, that just seems like a legitimate request, right? He's not asking for the upgraded chariot, right? He's not asking for the most trendy sandals. He's not asking for anything gratuitous or anything like that. I mean, this miracle is going to be about his sight, right? But what his most pressing need actually wasn't his sight. It was for the mercy of God. So number two, he acknowledged his most pressing need. He acknowledged his most pressing need. Hey, folks, the man was blind, but still, his most pressing need was the mercy of God. And he knew somehow he had this deep understanding that if there was going to be any blessing or any healing from Christ, it was going to be an act of mercy. And never lose sight as we live our days that any blessing, any goodness, any benefit we get in this life is an act, an incredible act of the mercy of God. Why? Because we don't deserve any blessing. We don't deserve any healing. We don't deserve any benefit from our Lord. It is the mercy of God who knows everything about me and yet still chooses to bless my life. That's mercy. And if you have lived a life that has been so far away from Jesus Christ, and, and if you were to tell, tell your story and you feel like you'd make everybody blush, or maybe there would be some cringiness to it, and, and maybe you can tell stories of some deep, dark sin, Yes, your need is the mercy of Jesus Christ, and he can wash your sins away, but at the same time, there are those that maybe grew up in church and grew up with both mom and dad going to church together and maybe going to Christian school and having been sheltered from the effects of sin and never having lived those deep, dark pathways of sin. Your greatest need as well is the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's what we need. That's our greatest need, no matter our physical infirmity. No matter our background, no matter how deep and dark, or matter, no matter how boring maybe your te- you feel like your testimony is, wow, we need the mercy of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. The Bible tells us that God delights in mercy. There are those that come to Jesus Christ kind of embarrassed because they've just lived some stuff, right? How could Jesus Christ love me? How could God love me? The Bible's clear. He delights in mercy. What does that mean? You know, I delight in chocolate, Amen. So that means every chance, every opportunity I have to partake in chocolate, I partake. The Bible says that God delights in mercy. Every opportunity he gets to show a soul mercy, God delights in that. He loves you and wants to show you his mercy. He acknowledges the most pressing need. And next, we just look at verse number 48. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. Could you imagine? Here's a man crying out to Jesus. And then in this great crowd, they're telling him to be quiet. 
And who knows what it is? It could be that just because, I mean, he was a beggar and that's all he did. Maybe it was the crowd just assuming, well, there's blind Bartimaeus doing his thing again, just kind of having a self-serving request for Jesus. Come on. Hey, Bartimaeus, you hush there. Jesus Christ has places to go. Wait a minute now. Or maybe it could have been one of the disciples or many of the disciples. You, you study the New Testament. The disciples, they need to change their thinking sometimes, and they say some of the wrong things. It happens. It could have been that, hey, maybe the disciples didn't think a handicapped man or disabled man to be all that important to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had, he, he had places to go and people to meet, so you hush there, Bartimaeus. Hold on, Jesus Christ has got a more important to meet. It could have been that. It's very possible. We don't know. But all we know is that the crowd tried to hush him. But he wouldn't be hushed. We're, we're living it now in the brand of Christianity to where believers are easily hushed. He's the man who made Jesus stop. Number one, he used what he had. He used what he had. Number two, he acknowledged his most pressing need. And I just love this word. Number three, he was relentless. He was relentless. It's kind of like that little brother, little sibling, whatever. You're on that long road trip in the back of the you know, the back of the sedan, and every kid needs their personal bubble, right? And then one kid just barely grazes the elbow of the other kid. Don't touch me! And you, you know, the, the little brother says, oh, those words don't touch me are a challenge because you know what's going to happen now, right? Get as close. Do you ever have somebody get as close as possible to you? They're not touching you, but it feels like it. It just gives you the heebie-jeebies. Right? It's like that little brother said, hey, you, you tell me there's something that I can't do? Oh, it's on now, right? It's kind of like when Governor Newsom said, you can't sing. Oh, man, I was salty. I mean, I sang up a storm even more, right? I mean, it's just kind of that thing. No, no, you, you're not going to tell me that. You're going to tell me... And here we are, his man who is crying out to Jesus. The crowd says, hush, and he cried out the more. He was relentless. You were not going to stop him. My favorite stories. Marquise Robinson is sitting in the back there. Um, he was in my youth group, and uh, I, I love him. He's been a blessing to me. And we went on a number of missions trips together when I was a youth pastor. One of my favorite places is Alaska. And we, we went, at, went up to Alaska um, in the winter. No, I'm just kidding. I'm a Californian. Their summers are awful. Highs in the 50s. I'm a native Californian. How many of you know that that's, that's torture, right? We like our 70-degree winters, amen? And so we're in Alaska um, getting out to the remote villages. I mean, most of these villages you can't drive to. You, you usually have to take a boat to or, or a small plane. It's amazing. And one missions trip in particular um, was, was, uh, was very rustic. And so we lived in this house that didn't have any insulation, um, had some doors, some windows, and just a little bit of running water, but no heat. And so the missionary we were helping was an officer in the Air Force, and one of his, he had specialized training in wilderness survival. And the guys loved it. They loved learning how to start a fire from scratch, right? And I think we had, they had a, a little fire steel, and they'd make the sparks and get the little kindling. 
And one of the best things to use, especially up there, is birch bark. And there's just birch trees all over. And the guys, they'd be scraping birch bark all over. Especially there was one guy they'd make fun of named Ryan. It, it just seemed like that's all he did. All, all trip, huh, Marquise? He was just, he was just uh, scraping birch bark the whole time. We're trying to share the gospel. Where's Ryan? Oh, he's scraping birch bark. No, he wasn't quite that bad. But then he kept doing that. And they would just start the fire and get the, you, you know, get the kindling going, all those things. They loved starting fires. It was great. Of course, fire is real important. One night it was raining. Still, these guys, Marquise, Matthew, Philip, and Ryan, they just wanted to start a fire just for fun, even in the rain. I said, guys, you're dumb, right? I'm the youth pastor, so that's how I talk to them. Guys, you're dumb. You're, it's raining. You're not going to start a fire. And it's like that little brother, like, oh, oh, yeah, Jay, okay, it's on now. I just like, took that as a challenge. And so they got, it's so ridiculous. I wish I took video of this thing. But, but you can ask my, they've got their, you, there's just, I have the picture in my head. They got their parkas all huddled together. Like four of them over their parkas over the thing. Another person scraping stuff. They start to blow these things. They would find a trash pile and find cardboard and bring it over and try to shield different things and fan the thing. One guy found this big old PVC pipe in a trash pile. And so as they'd light the thing, it would start to smoke and smolder just a little bit. He would blow air into it. One time he accidentally inhaled. Starts coughing like crazy. I know, I'm the youth pastor. I should come to the rescue, but I laugh from a distance, all right? And so I'm watching these things. I say, guys, stop, just come on in. Marquise, maybe 30 or 45 minutes you guys tried. I said, okay. And so I stay inside, and I was like, every once in a while, I'd peek my head in, try to get the guys to come, uh, to, to come in, nothing. And then finally, after 30, 40, 45 minutes, one of the guys walks in, Matthew, big old smile on his face. I said, nah. Jay, yo. So I come out, and it's almost, there's a fire. It's almost like Marquise is standing there. He didn't do that, but that's how I pictured it in my mind. It just sounds more exciting. And all of a sudden, in the rain, here's this big old blaze just going. And they, it's raining, and they lit the fire, so of course they stood there and just <laughs> and enjoyed the fire and got themselves more soaked. Oh, no, they, the teenage guys, they enjoyed it. So, okay, whatever. But I remember having this thought so simple, yet so powerful. You can start a fire in the rain if you just don't quit. You know, the, the secret sauce to that, it, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the fire steel. It wasn't the birch bark. right? It wasn't, it wasn't the kindling. You know what the secret sauce to that story is that they just they weren't going to quit. Nothing was going to stop them from starting that fire. It just wasn't going to happen. And we're living in an age where we are being told to hush, where we are being told to, um, to maybe to cut back or, 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 or be careful with doing this. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not saying we don't live with wisdom, and, and, and I'm not saying it's wrong to make some adjustments in ministry, but there are still some things as the church, as believers, that we are commanded to do, and a gospel that still needs to be spread throughout the world and throughout this community, and it should be that, hey, a Liberty Baptist Church, no, this is a church family, a ministry that will not be hushed when it comes to Jesus. Jesus Christ. It was relentless. You can start a fire in the rain if you just don't quit. Pastor made mention tonight, I'll be, I'll be preaching a unique message um, in which we'll, I'll be sharing our story, our testimony. We'll definitely preach a message, but, um, but we'll be sharing our testimony. And some of it, some of it's, it's ugly. 
There was a time where depression and anxiety and panic attacks knocked me out of the ministry. I just didn't think I could be effective in front of people. But I never, I never stopped walking with God. I never stopped going to church. I never stopped talking about Jesus when I had opportunity to do so. I never, never stopped that. I just wondered if I could do this ever again. But here I am. Every morning, Marquise, when I drive in, and uh, I drive in from Irvine, and when I, when I exit the, the freeway every single morning still, it's only been a couple weeks, and it's been cold, but I, I, I drop the windows because I can smell the ocean. And, and for me, it's significant because there was a time for about three or four years, and I'll share why tonight, when this, just the smell of the ocean sent me into dry heaves or into a panic attack. And I, I don't have that anymore. I can smell the ocean. I'm okay. There's healing in Jesus. He can fix you. The Bible says he can make the crooked things straight. The promise. And you could build a fire in the rain if you just don't quit. And there will be seasons in life I had to kind of drop back for a little bit. Didn't know if I'd ever be okay. But I never quit on him. I asked some hard questions. Don't, don't get me wrong. I asked some, ask some hard questions. Some, some questions maybe that I'm embarrassed about. But he answered them. Just like Job. Needed some correcting. Right? But he did it. And he brought the healing. And so I can smell the ocean now. I could stand in, you know, and, and view the waves. This morning as I was prepping, just going over my, uh, um, my, my sermon notes uh, for the morning, I, I, I was at this coffee shop there right by the pier and I was able to just talk to the Lord and go over my notes. And, and I, I'm telling you, just three years ago, I, I couldn't stand anywhere close to the ocean without going into a panic, without my heart racing or about to go into dry heaves or vomiting or, or, or just a, a, a be, not being able to breathe. But I'm not, I'm not there anymore. I was able to do that this morning in preparation for preaching. You can build a fire in the rain if you just don't quit. It may take some time. It may take some time, but you can build that fire. Let's look at verse number 49. Verse number 49. The Bible says, And Jesus stood still. So he got Jesus' attention. Here's the man who made Jesus stop. But here's the interesting thing. And commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he called. He said, wait a minute, here's a man who has a definite disability. He can't see. He's not going to get to Jesus by using his eyesight. Jesus Christ does stop, give him his attention. But he calls to him to get up and go to Jesus. Here's number four, whatever number it is. He did his part. He did his part. You know, th this is a concept, personal responsibility, that we're kind of lacking today, right? And for those of you who are a little bit younger, or maybe, maybe a little bit older, who think you're entitled to free stuff, let me tell you, you know, you're, you're not entitled to free college, right? Or free whatever, you know? You need to earn it. It's okay to work for it. It's okay to save. Get a job as a teenager. Don't spend it all on video games. Put it in the bank, Right? Fill out all the applications and get all the grants and scholarships you can. Hey, you do your, do your job. It's not my responsibility to pay for your college education, right? 
I'm already trying to help my, my three kids in college as best as I can, but they're working as well. Right? There's something called personal responsibility, that a concept that we're forgetting in this day, of a, day and age, right? We have to do our part. I think of Elisha, right? And, and, and we look in 2 Kings, I, I, I think it is, and, and it feels like a Bible college setting where the, where the sons of the prophets, the preacher boys, they're living in a dormitory type thing, some communal, communal setting, but it, they said it's too straight for them. It's a little bit narrow. They need a little bit more um, uh, uh, elbow room. And they go to Elisha, the, the dean or president of the Bible college, and says, Elisha, the place that where we live, it's too straight for us. We, we, we want to we wanna build ourselves a bigger dorm. Well, that's great. Hey, it's, it's a good thing that they don't go right to Elisha and say, hey, we need a bigger dorm. You need to build us a bigger dorm, right? They, didn't go, they, they knew that they had to take care of it. He says, Elisha, is that okay? So Elisha says, yeah, go ahead, right, to start building. So they fell some beams, the Bible tells us, and they, they take, everyone takes a beam themselves, and they get to the place where they want to build this new dormitory, and they start hacking away. They brought their axes and tools, and they're working at it, but one of the preacher boys, as he's hacking away, all of a sudden, his axe head flies away, and he loses the axe head in the water, and he cries, alas, master, he was so upset because this axe of his was borrowed. Okay, you ever drop your phone and, and crack the screen, right? That's a bummer, right? But what if it was someone else's phone? Whoa, it's worse, right? If it's somebody else's phone, I mean, you feel worse. You'd rather break your own phone, right? And that's what's happening with this, this poor preacher boy, man. He's hacking away. All of a sudden, his axe that he borrowed, man, the axe head flies away, and, and, and uh, um, it, it falls into the stream somewhere, calls the man of God. Elisha says, where fell it? And, and preacher boy, man, he's just having his moment. It fell somewhere over here, master. Can you? And, and, and then so um, Elisha, the dean, throws in a stick, and, and all of a sudden, the Bible says the iron did swim. You know, iron is heavy. You have a cast iron skillet or cast iron pot, throw it in your pool, see if it swims, right? I mean, don't do that. That'll be a waste, all right? But I mean, the, thing, it, the point, it doesn't swim. It, that's, it's a miracle. And you know what the preacher boy does as the axe head and iron starts to swim? He looks at it and he says, whoa. And then after that, he looks at it and says, Whoa. And then Elisha has to, you know, Elbum says, well, pick it up. What's the point there? Elisha's not going to do all the work for him. Elisha put him in a position to find what he lost, but then all of a sudden, hey, it's, it's time to, hey, stop gawking at, this, at something and stop looking at it and pick it up and get back to work. And praise God when we have an Elisha situation where someone puts us in a position to succeed, like in a place like this where the pulpit ministry is so strong. And I encourage you to be here on Wednesday night. Pastor Sammy started a series on prayer this last, this last Wednesday. It's amazing. Be back here on Sunday night. If you're visiting for the first time, don't judge the pulpit by the, uh, by, by the junior varsity squad right here. Come back uh, next week and hear our lead pastor. The, the pulpit ministry is amazing. I'm telling you, we're blessed as a church. We're set up to spiritually succeed. But ultimately, my spiritual health, that's my responsibility. If I'm spiritually unhealthy, I can't, I can't blame Pastor Ryan. I can't blame... Pastor Sammy, oh, praise the Lord that we are fed and we are set up. We are put in a place to where the iron is swimming, but it's my job to just kneel down, pick it up, have my own walk with God every single day. Come back, get a little bit of recharge on Wednesday, walk with God some more, my own personal time. Be back here on Sunday. Personal responsibility.
responsibility. It's on me. It's on you, ultimately. And we, of course, as a family, we walk together, we live together, we encourage one another. We, we need, all that is important. But I better be doing my part as well. He did his part. And then lastly, I'd like to show you verse number 50. And we're done. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Lastly, he came to Jesus empty. And remember, he's homeless. So that garment, that cloak or coat, more than likely is what it meant, is his most basic, maybe his most important uh, belonging. And when he comes to Jesus, he casts that away, he leaves that with him, he comes to Jesus empty. Now, folks, my friend, if you're here today and you've, you've never received Christ as your Savior, you're not assured of a home in heaven, you must empty yourself of your ideas of meriting Christ's favor, God's favor. Because, you know, you, you can't. I was brought up in a religious system that taught me that I can earn heaven by doing good works. And, and my friend, you'll not find that in Scripture anywhere. I was brought up in a religious system that told me my original sins were washed away when I was an infant and, and water was sprinkled upon me. My friend, I don't mean to be, to be mean or, or insensitive, but you won't find that in the Scriptures. What you will find is that Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if you're to come to God, if you're to be assured of heaven, Jesus Christ says, it's through him. It's through him. If you can get saved by doing good works, Jesus Christ was wasting his time by dying on the cross. If you can get saved by getting baptized or joining a Baptist church or joining whatever church, Jesus Christ was wasting his time by dying on a cross for us. But he, would, he paid our sin debt on that cross. He is the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. But for every believer here, if we are to be used of God, you know, we need to do our part. Cry out to Jesus. Ask Elisha for help. That iron's going to swim. But pick it up. Get up. Do your part. Rise. Walk with God. Come to Jesus empty. Stop focusing on what you don't have. Thank God for that one or two or three talents that you do have. Take a step of faith. Be relentless. And you can start a fire in the rain if you just don't quit. The man, the man who made Jesus stop. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.